0: You know, I've seen you a lot of times before. Remember, uh, parochial school out of Pelusky Street? Seven, eight years ago, your hair, had your hair, uh, Braves. Looked like a hunk of rope. You had wires on your teeth and glasses, everything. You was really a mess. I can get home all right now, thanks. All right, look, no get sore. Just kidding you a little bit. I just mean to tell you the you Hello, are nice? Thanks. And you don't you don't remember me, do you? Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin.
1: I'm David Daw.
0: And this week we watched the fourth of the 1954 nominees. On the Waterfront, directed by Ilya Kazan and starring Marlon Brando.
1: The former of which is a problem, the latter of which is not. <laughs> um. yeah, I,
0: I don't know. There's some stuff I've read about Brando where it's, uh, it might also be a problem.
1: Oh, with this movie. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, with yes. This movie. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yes. With this movie. Yes. <laughs> that is totally fair. Yeah. I, uh, I... I think probably my biggest problem with this movie is that it's really beautifully directed and shot and it's like when a band you really like, when it turns out that the main member of that band is this horrible creep who does bad things to people. And then you're like, oh, okay. So all of these lyrics where I was like, this is how they get out their dark stuff and it's cathartic. It's actually just them talking about the way that they are and treat people. (laughs) Like, if I didn't know about Kazan, (laughs) I feel like I could have enjoyed this movie more. See, I feel
1: not the opposite way, but I feel like this is kind of the opposite of High Noon, where the like metatextual stuff intrudes so much on what this narrative ought to be. I mean, the third act just doesn't make any goddamn sense within the universe of the movie. It only makes sense as a morality play about why snitching to HUAC is a great idea. (laughs) Like Everyone's reaction is not the reaction to what is going on in the movie. It's the reaction to testifying with HUAC.
0: Which, for those who don't know what that is, is the House Un-American Activities Committee. There is a quote... That is from Orson Welles in regards to this film and to Kazan. That is possibly the most concise way of summing up how I feel about this movie. But is also because it is Orson Welles the most Orson Welles way of describing it.
1: Okay, I've got a good non-Orson Welles one, too, for when you're done with the Orson Welles one, though. Because Arthur Miller also has an amazing burn.
0: Oh boy, good, great. So, in 1982, Orson Welles was asked a question about Kazan at the Cinémathèque Française in Paris. And Welles replied, Cher mademoiselle, you have chosen the wrong metteur en scène, because Ilya Kazan is a traitor. He is a man who sold to McCarthy all his companions at a time when he could continue to work in New York at high salary. And having sold all his people to McCarthy, he then made a film called On the Waterfront, which was a celebration of the informer. Yep. (laughs) Which is the most Orson Welles thing, other than everything Orson Welles ever says, And also is how I feel about this movie, because you're right, like the third act is just a celebration of the informer that doesn't necessarily make any sense within the world of the film.
1: Right, because this is a very different kind of informing within the film than it is in real life, Kazan's real life. But people treat marlon brando the same way we'll get into it when we get into the plot really quickly the arthur miller thing is the two of them were uh, very very close until he testified at huac at which point they never worked together again in 55 miller sent kazan a copy of a view from the bridge before it was first produced uh, and Kazan, like, excitedly wrote back that he'd be honored to direct it. And Arthur Miller wrote back, You don't understand. I don't want you to direct it. I want you to know what I think of stool pigeons, <laughs> which is amazing. Yeah. So if people had strong feelings about Kazan, and Kazan clearly had, like, a persecution complex about it from the plot of this film. Yeah. Which is that Marlon Brando plays an idiot former boxer.
0: (laughs) Which was one in 10 of every man under 30 in the 1950s a former boxer who had like a hang up about it. Because it has come up a lot in the last couple of years.
1: I think that Terry Malloy, which is Marlon Brando's character, is perhaps the only boxer in the 1950s to have not punched a man so hard he died. (laughs) Because that, in fact, does not figure into his plot. Or,
0: like, that's the reason he re- retired anyway. Yeah. Because, yeah, all the other ones, that was the reason.
1: He has fallen in with a incredibly mobbed-up union boss named Johnny Friendly, because Terry, his brother, works for Friendly. And... Uh, Terry within 2 minutes of the start of this movie is an accessory to murder that he doesn't exactly shrug at but does go like I didn't think you were going to murder the guy. I thought you were going to like talk to him or something. <laughs> Not quite oh well but is like this is this sucks cuz just because I didn't plan for it mostly. He has a regular gig at the docks because the union guy runs the docks essentially. How this movie thinks unions work is kind of confusing, but it is at least like slightly more tethered to reality in the first two acts than when we get to act three.
0: Yeah, it is really confusing because they're all unionized, yet they show up every day just hoping for work. Mm -hmm. Well, so Sean is in a union, the stagehands union, and he did say at the beginning of this movie when they were all showing up to look for work that it had big replacement hall energy. <laughs> and the replacement hall is where if you don't have a gig that week or day or whatever, you go at the ass crack of dawn and hope that some production needs extra help for that day. <laughs> so, uh, but it seems like there aren't jobs that are just steady at all unless you're the boss of that dock which uh, it, the union then just pays you money for uh, something. Right. Smuggling. (laughs)
1: The exact union mechanics here are totally unimportant because for all intents and purposes, Johnny Friendly is a mob boss. Yes. In terms of his mechanics in the plot and everything that happens to him and by him. He's just a mob boss, but everybody just calls him a union boss. Yes. So Terry, meanwhile, has started hanging out with the sister of the guy he helped murder. And she is, like, a saint and the greatest person to ever live, tied possibly with Karl Malden's priest, who fucking rules, by the way.
0: Yeah, it's great. I'm actually starting to think that Karl Malden is not only the MVP of this movie, but maybe of Streetcar too.
1: He's extremely, extremely good. I want to get into Karl Malden. He is the sad sack avatar and does it so fucking well there can be one alive and when one falls a new one is called and that's where john c riley came from
0: <laughs> i was about to say i was like so is the current one john c riley
1: <laughs> yep and like especially in this movie carl malden has big john c riley energy which is i know temporarily it works the other way but he's a sad sack in streetcar and in this it's like extremely John C. Riley. Anyway, he is the only person to go like, hey, uh, what's the deal with the head of your union being a mob boss who just kills anyone who questions him? I feel like your working conditions would be a lot better if you did something about that. And everybody goes like, boo, for the kind of understandable reason of I don't want to die. Seems fair. Yeah. So Friendly has kind of shut down anybody testifying But through becoming friends and romantically involved, becoming friends with the priest and romantically involved with Edie, who's Joey's sister, Terry slowly figures out what a conscience is and that he has one and kind of decides that he is going to testify against Friendly, at which point when he's still kind of waffling about it, Friendly sends his own brother to kill him, which is where we get to the cab scene and where we get to I could have been a contender. Which, I think Brando's performance of it rules, but I also think the script to this movie kind of sucks. And that, like, it's kind of amazing he makes that monologue work. Because when I sort of think about it, that speech is bad.
0: Yeah, watching it, I thought, the reason this is so famous is because Brando makes this garbage work. Yeah, I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. It sounds as ridiculous when anyone says it as it is ever sounded, you know, in the context of people referencing it. And yet Brando makes it really work. I think part of it is that this guy really, really seems to not be very bright. Yeah. So the fact that he whips out contender is like, he's really trying to sound (laughs) smart. That's a $5 word for him.
1: Yeah.
0: I think that's what makes it so fucking heartbreaking.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think that there's a lot of stuff in here that I don't think is very good writing that Brando makes incredible. There's a line where Edie just kind of mentions a conscience- And he just goes, like, conscience, everybody's following me around with this conscience stuff. That's kind of a terrible line, but he plays it so brilliantly as, like, it hasn't occurred to him that he has a conscience. And the thing that's following him around is his own conscience and not other people.
0: Yeah. Which is weird, because he does talk about having gone to parochial school with Edie. And I'm like, so you were raised Catholic in Catholic school, and you're just now being like, gosh, I don't know what this weird, bad feeling I have is. Like, dude, it's guilt. How do do you not know guilt? And, like,
1: it ought to be (laughs) unrealistic in that way. It ought to be that, like, nobody is this dumb. But it actually, I think, insofar as, like... We're still in the part where this is about bravely standing up to a mob boss, and I think that plot works largely because Brando takes this part that is just kind of an idiot and <laughs> makes it kind of compelling to watch this idiot piece together. There's something wrong here. It's going to take me a minute because I'm n- not that bright, but piecing together like, hey, this shouldn't be how this works, right? This so We should do something is really compelling to watch. And it works right up until he does, in fact, testify. At which point, everybody kind of switches polarities so that we can act like what he just did is testify at HUAC. We're skipping over the middle step there, uh, I suddenly realized, where Friendly kills Terry's brother in an attempt to also kill Terry. That doesn't work. And Terry tries to go and kill Friendly, (laughs) In a scene with some great mob acting and some great acting by both Brando and Karl Malden, where Karl Malden... And
0: some really, really impressive cinematography and some great acting by just the totally silent extras. Mm -hmm. Really very impressive.
1: (laughs) The little happy dance walk that the one mob heavy does when he walks into the bar and then sees that Terry has a gun and tries to like dance, turn around, and leave. (laughs)
0: Um, (laughs) Yeah, there's some really good directing in this movie. I hate that, but it's true. I,
1: you know, I don't know how much of it is directing because I do think that there's a lot of secondary characters in this and there's a lot of stuff tonally going on that just doesn't work through the whole movie. And I think that, like, the point where it totally falls apart is after Terry testifies, everyone is suddenly like, you're a stool pigeon and I hate you for informing. Up until now, everybody has said, like, they'd be happy to inform except for the part where somebody's going to murder them. (laughs) Like, they just decide on the basis of snitching they hate snitches just for the sake of it. No, people hated people who snitched to HUAC for specific reasons. Like... (laughs) Yes. And instead of actually confronting or dealing with any of these reasons, it just sort of puts informing in one gigantic pile and goes, well, you see, everybody treats all informers the same, even though a lot of us are like heroic, handsome men who are just trying to do what's right, even though no one likes them for it. Is that the story I've been watching? Because Brando has not been playing that. Like, no one has been playing that for the first hour and 20 of this hour and 40 minute movie.
0: No, in fact, the whole time it has been like, informers are bad. Yeah. Well, I mean,
1: it hasn't. Like, that that's what kind of what I'm saying is that like for the first hour and 20, it's been saying like, this kind of informer, like, it's been really into the specifics of this situation and what it means to inform in this situation. And when it tries to make the leap to, and then it always is like this, like, this is just how informing writ large works, you go, no, it doesn't. In fact, no one's character behavior makes sense anymore. All of the dock workers are initially angry at him and call him a stool pigeon. And like, so does a local youth.
0: Yeah, but so I actually felt like the... Setup for it was that everyone around him except for the priest and evie constantly were saying you know oh well it's bad if you snitch but the two people who are like the moral conscience of this movie i guess are setting it up that it's good actually but but
1: even more than that for the first hour 20 everybody says it's bad to snitch and then immediately says because friendly will murder you yeah Like, you shouldn't have bothered because friendly will kill you is why people don't like snitching. And then suddenly they don't like Terry snitching just because they don't like the idea of doing that. Like, it to me seems like a really dramatic change because it's not like it's going to come down on their head that Terry did this. Nothing bad is going to happen to them. And they very specifically have disliked this thing because of the consequences it will bring to them. It's just weird to me. Because it does seem like there's this hard break from a specific situation to a morality play about why Alia Kazan is great. <laughs> and when that turn comes... The movie just kind of sucks after that. Like, I think the last 10 minutes of this movie are bad.
0: Yeah, they're not great.
1: Terry tries to get work at the docks and Friendly taunts him into getting into a huge fist fight with him that Friendly somehow almost wins, (laughs) mostly just so that Terry can be forced to like dramatically stand up despite how badly injured he is and like go into work inspiring all the rest of the workers to realize that actually informing is good, which was a thing that they decided is good because of that for reasons. (laughs) And then Friendly is left lashing out at everyone, even though his power is gone, because informing is the best thing ever.
0: Well, it's the most noble thing ever. Right. And everyone will eventually be on your side against the big mob bosses of... Your friends, whose career you ruined? Yeah. <laughs> your friends were not mob bosses who were killing people like your brother and throwing them off of roofs like your friend. They were playwrights and directors. <laughs> And (laughs) actor.
1: On a certain level, I'm very glad it did. I I mean, I'm very glad it didn't work because this movie, this movie's labor politics suck enough. But on a certain level, I understand why Kazan was pushing to make the antagonists of this movie communists, because he kind of just made a movie where he acts like that's true. And so nothing makes any sense. There's no political philosophy that Friendly is standing up for. He's just a mob boss that kills you if you talk back. And so people are like, I don't want to die.
0: Yes. And
1: I'm sorry I keep like beating on that point, but it's a huge difference. Bringing down a like organized mob that is using threats of violence to silence you.
0: Not just threats. Yeah. Actual
1: violence.
0: Like killing people pretty regularly, it seems.
1: The fact that it just doesn't have that ideological dimension at all makes it really weird when Kazan tries to, like, tape that ideological dimension onto it to burnish his own image. And I think it really unbalances the film. I genuinely think this film is great for an hour 20, and then when it becomes a polemic for Kazan, it's bad. Like, it's a bad movie. Suddenly. Like, really suddenly.
0: Yeah sharply and not just in a like okay this has gone downhill like the script has turned in a weird way like visually it starts to be not very good yeah not starts it's very sudden actually it's like what is the effects makeup for the very bad fight (laughs) looks wrong and cheesy and Mm -hmm. like just all of it seems it seems very slapdash after you've had this very controlled feeling film. You know, like, looking back at Streetcar, for example, like, nothing felt like it was done by mistake. And this movie felt that way until suddenly it didn't at all.
1: Yeah, I mean, it really feels like everybody was here... Through I Could Have Been a Contender, was here th- to Terry testifying. And then everybody just kind of phoned in everything after that except for Kazan. Like, Kazan is the only one who seems to have had any passion for this ending, really, like right down the line in the crew. And all of the actors are just sort of here after he testifies. And it's weird. You do sort of suddenly find yourself looking around like, what happened? When did this become a bad movie?
0: I think probably some of it is down to... So Arthur Miller wrote the initial script for this yeah, in 51. And then Columbia was like, well, they can't be like bad union people. Can you make them communists? Which is weird because they're still bad union people. Like they're corrupt mob bosses and union bosses and communists which like okay whatever fine
1: well I mean they're not communists they're like that because Miller refused that's not what actually ends up in the film
0: well Bud Schulberg didn't refuse to make the end of this movie which was what he I mean he's credited as the screenwriter but he came on to rewrite it because Arthur Miller was like I'm not gonna fucking work with you you fucking asshole (laughs) to Ilya Kazan yeah And I feel like maybe that's why, is that, that, you know, there was a pretty tight script and then you've got Schulberg coming on and, like, I, I don't- I mean, how much did Kazan really guide this process, you know? How much was he like, yeah, make them kill all his pigeons, and then the kid throws a dead pigeon at him. Oh, he's gonna be so oppressed by his community for being a snitch. Uh... Because that that is the weird thing that it feels like, right? Like what you keep saying is that suddenly everybody starts to just be mad at him for informing and with no context. So maybe that's just the end that Schulberg wrote.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I would be interested about like what line by line changes happened there. It definitely feels like Kazan wrestles control away from the script in that last section. There's a lot less dialogue. The dialogue is somehow even worse. Like, this is not a movie with great dialogue to begin with. And the dialogue in that last 15-minute section is just straight-up informative. It's just like, I think this thing. Yeah, I think this other thing. I'm not gonna do this. Friendly, I think the best example is that, like, Friendly up until now has kind of talked an in innuendo about everything. And then you get to this last scene where he excludes Terry and he just straight up goes like, everybody gets to work today except Terry. (laughs) I guess that's what Kazan wanted because it seems like there was just no pages for that. He just told the actor to say that basically.
0: That really gets at the persecution complex part of it as well, too. Oh, man, I was canceled. And it's like you literally had people's entire careers ruined. They didn't get to work. You still got to work. Yeah. People just didn't want to work with you because you fucking snitched on them.
1: Yeah. It so thoroughly unbalances this movie, but it also is just yet another weird data point for the like separating the art from the artist thing where even within this movie, the shittiness of Kazan ruins this movie within the movie. That's working fine because of the non-shitty parts of Kazan. Like, there's such a clear break. And I don't know if you could. Sorry, I'm just actually considering the question in my brain. And I think you could literally just stop this movie where Terry gets convinced by the priest to testify.
0: Mm.
1: And it's a it's a great movie. It's a very good movie bordering on great that way.
0: And would have, I think, made Kazan's point.
1: Yeah, I do think that, like...
0: Arguably better in the long run. Like, he just had to be worn down, but he did eventually do it.
1: Yeah, and, like, by keeping that stuff off screen a little, you can kind of fill in the blanks in a way that does his argument some favors, where when you start sticking in proper nouns, you can go like, well, now, hold on a minute. This doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, this actually is nothing like HUAC.
0: No, it's it's not, not at all. Not even a little bit. I, I went into it knowing that I wasn't going to like it. <laughs> and I was surprised by how much I did.
1: I really do feel like Brando and Malden are really holding this movie up. There's some other good actors in here. But there's sort of a self-importance to the realism of a lot of this movie, I think. There's a scene out on the docks where Terry tells Ellie, uh, Edie, sorry, that he was involved in the killing of her brother. And something about the way that the faces are framed. And I know it's supposed to be that, like, you're kind of filling in the dialogue as environmental sound, just like everything's too loud. She can't contain her feelings right now. But it it's kind of funny in how self-important it is. And that scene should not be funny, probably.
0: Yeah, because see, for me, the way that that scene read was more that Brando is so entirely thoughtless that he is making this big confession to her that should be treated rather sensitively at a place where there is a constant work whistle or ship whistle or something that's so loud he's having to yell it at her and she still can't totally hear it. Uh, So, yeah, it does read as, like, what a, what a jackass. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I think, like, in either way, no matter what the intended reading is, I sort of feel like the actual underlying thing there is this thing about the movie where Kazan's kind of, like, hiding behind, like, ah, hard-working blue-collar men of America. He has a lot of shots of that shit. Yeah, this is like real, real Americans. This is is what life's really like down there on the streets with the people. That's just like, come on, man. Like, we don't, don't do, like, don't do this. Don't just sort of do that to create a convenient package for whatever your politics are, specifically. I think that Brando and Malden are doing a lot to bring specificity To the sort of, like, blue-collar Mad Libs-ness of a lot of this universe. Right. Like, Terry and Father Pete are, like, very specific guys, you know? There's this great bit of business where Terry and Edie are, like, first kind of having a real conversation where... Brando is playing Terry as so bored with the conversation, he's just playing with this glove. Because all he really wants is to, like, keep looking at Edie and get her to go on a date with him, basically. And the specificity of the way Terry is a shit is great and kind of transcends the shitty morality play that is the plot of this film. And then he's just dragged down by. And that's why HUAC is great.
0: (laughs) Or maybe not even that's why HUAC is great, but that's why I'm not actually a bad guy and a hero, despite how mean everybody is to me. Because it's not, it doesn't even feel as good as these people are trying to do something good and I was helping, because the way that the investigators are acted is not as if they are heroes. They're, like, kind of these annoying specters that hang around all the time until he gets badgered into- well, he doesn't get badgered into it. Until he decides that he's going to testify because they killed his brother. Yeah, it's him. He's the- he's the hero.
1: Yeah. And, like, I don't think the rest of the plot supports that, let alone, like, the actual facts of Kazan's life.
0: No, I don't think so either.
1: Like- Terry does the right thing here, and he's the only one willing to do the right thing. But like you say, that's because he's kind of been cornered by Friendly in a lot of ways. And because he is just sort of, like, slowly figured out the right thing to do at his own pace. Which is, a, like, good and an everyday act of heroism, but, like... Even in practice, the actual heroic thing is, I mean, one, the priest (laughs) and two, all of the workers at the end going like, hey, we're actually going to overthrow this guy uh, and we're going to do the thing that the movie kind of makes it seem like they could have done all along, which is kind of weird.
0: Right. Just demobify their union.
1: Yeah. But this movie is fascinating when Terry's informing is kind of more of a right place, right time thing. There's a great little scene where the guy investigating Friendly kind of reverse psychology's Terry by saying, oh, hey, I was at the fight that you threw. Although he doesn't say that. He just says, like, I was at this fight a couple of years ago. Boy, that guy uh, really, like, had you on the ropes, huh? And Terry just cannot take it. And it's like, I was holding him up the entire time. I was, it would have been so easy for me to win that fight. Like, so unbelievably easy. And again, it's such an easy act of reverse psychology that the script ain't that great. But Brando really makes a meal out of it and makes it great. Yeah, I feel like this movie is kind of sapping enthusiasm out of me because I just feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over and over again. And it's so boring. But like, I don't know what else to say about this, except like Brando is great in it and it has great things about it. But I don't know how anyone could call this a great movie or separate Ilya Kazan's politics from it because Kazan makes sure you can't.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's true. I think the end actually would feel more confusing if I didn't have that context Yeah, than having it. I also want to point out, one, this is just not a movie for me. I'm totally fine with salt of the earth leads, but when it's like, oh, look at this simple-minded person who then ends up being the hero, but for most of the movie what we're doing is like laughing at the fact that he's not very smart... it it's weird because, like, I think that Brando is doing a really, really good job. And I feel like the movie, until his moment of great heroism, kind of infantilizes him and treats him like, hey, look at this dumb guy. And I didn't love that. (laughs) I also don't understand what Ilya Kazan's fucking obsession with making Marlon Brando sexually assault women is because it was so fucking unnecessary for the scene where he goes to talk to Evie and she's like I don't want to see you I don't want to see you and then he throws her against the wall and kisses her and you have the same fucking camera angle basically that you had on Brando in Streetcar when he rapes Blanche but then it's like oh but no look like she gave in and is kissing him willingly now and I'm like yeah then why did you have to make it look like this
1: yeah I what
0: the fuck I
1: Agree. Like, I totally agree with that last point, which I think that scene is just very weird because clearly the intention is, is this where it's all going to break bad? Is this where this is going to become a tragedy? And like, ho ho, we're going to hide whether he's done something unforgivable. And then it's like, well, one, he kind of already has. Breaking into her apartment was already the thing that sucked, not actually like assaulting her. Um and two
0: I mean that also sucks. Yes. <laughs> it's just that we've already crossed that line.
1: But like two, what do you think the audience gets out of that tease?
0: Yeah, cuz that's what it feels like. Oh, and I hate that. It feels like a tease. Yeah. Don't make sexual assault a fucking tease, dude. That's gross. Yeah. It's not titillating.
1: Yeah, it sucks. I will push back on the movie infantilizing Brando thing only insofar as to say, I think the direction wants to infantilize Brando. And I think Brando is doing everything he can to push back against it and almost always doing it. I think he's doing a good job of pushing back against it. But I do think that, you know, they're trying for the same thing as in the robe of like, he's a good hearted person who's just too much of a dummy. (laughs) To understand why you shouldn't be an accessory to murder. Mm. Brando is making him a more complex and interesting character than that and kind of bringing a, like, selfishness and a complexity to the character that I think you're right. On paper and also in terms of the dramatic thrust of the film, I don't think that's necessarily the intention. I think the film does want to kind of give him the easy out of, like, He's just an innocent babe who is somehow involved in mob murders. And no, this is a really specific guy who just kind of goes along with it because otherwise bad things happen to him.
0: And in fact, do. And we see a lot of them.
1: This is a guy who is dumb because he never asks any questions because he knows better than to ask any questions. And we're watching him ask the first questions of his life. I think that's Brando's performance. I don't necessarily think that's Terry Malloy's character as conceived by Kazan and as written, yeah, and similarly, I kind of think Carl Malden is doing more interesting work than the movie wants him to be doing,
0: yeah, uh, yeah, I think that that's definitely true.
1: There are so many cut to reaction shots of Father Pete and Edie nodding at things to go like, yes, audience, this is good. That it takes a lot for Malden to make clear that, hey, this isn't in the job description of being a priest. You're not actually supposed to be a labor organizer. And the church kind of doesn't like that necessarily. And he is doing really interesting stuff, wedding those two sides of his personality instead of just making it so that like well he's good so he does the good thing all the time cuz he's the most good man that ever gooded which <laughs> again as written i think is the part
0: yeah that yeah so i guess we should rate this movie uh, um
1: 6 uh i i kind of want
0: to oh i okay
1: <laughs> i uh, brando's really fucking good in it like that's the thing at like, like the back third of it sucks real bad. But other than that, whenever Brando's on screen, it's good. Except for well, except for the one scene where he assaults Edie, that that does suck. But also specifically, it sucks when he's off screen and they do the like weird hidden shit. But like, yeah, I don't know. I I really would. I'm I'm okay with you going like no fucking way am i going over five am i making this a more good than bad movie but i like i kind of think by sheer like power of the two central performances of carl malden and brando everything bad about this movie becomes less central than it actually is
0: yeah yeah i also i actually think the cinematography is quite good for most of it even even the cinematography at the end goes off the rails for some reason yeah but there's some really beautiful framing in this i I think that i mean boris kaufman is a super talented cinematographer yeah i think that he's doing a good job it's um you know you're talking me up to a five (laughs)
1: Yeah, I'm. You know, I'm okay with that.
0: I'm not going to go up to a six though, because I don't think it's more good than not.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but
0: I'll I'll say it's tied <laughs> with itself.
1: <laughs> you know, I I think I, I'm I'm really I think this is my internal argument for a six, less than it is me trying to argue you up to a six. But I think my argument would be like. I think I would go lower on this if the back third, where the politics is just garbage, was more successful. Mm. As like filmmaking.
0: Right. If it stuck the landing instead of like tripping and dropping all of its shit.
1: Yeah. In a weird way, I want to spot this movie, its terrible politics, because you can just so easily chop it off and go, like, well, that was fucking Kazan being on one. Like, it just (laughs) fucking, like, don't, that doesn't fucking matter. Like, just fuck him. And that it is kind of weirdly easy to chop that off of this movie. But it's part of this movie, and it's a thing the director of this movie did. So, like, I get... No, five. I think I was spotting at that stuff just because I felt like, hey, I'm finding the non-Kazan stuff in this movie I really like. But I don't know if when we're giving the sort of screen test of time grade, I can really do that.
0: It's not even, like, non-Kazan. It's, like, the stuff that's not personal to Kazan. Because I'm not going to take away from him the quality of the directing in this film that is good. Because I know that he's a good director. He's... I've seen other shit that he did, and it was good. This is the one where he was like, everybody's mean to me, so I'm going to make the end of this movie suck. But, like, there are parts of this movie that are really well-directed. So, you know, I, I can't fully take that away from him. But his persecution complex temper tantrum definitely ruined this film.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think I'm, again, weirdly grading this film higher because I'm a little bit more down on the directing than you are. The cinematography in this movie is too showy for me. Like, it's it's too, like... I
0: love showy cinematography.
1: <laughs> yeah, i I like it in some circumstances, but it's very didactic. There's just a lot of hitting you over the head with themes and what's going on in this movie in ways that I'm like, I didn't I didn't need this, bro. Like, I didn't I didn't need when when Brando walks, like runs down to find his brother and almost gets killed by Friendly, the old woman going, this is exactly what happened when my little boy died at the start of the movie. And you're like, I fucking know, lady, like I can watch. The- it's like the same camera angle. I'm aware yeah, I mean,
0: I'm I I really liking Mark Bergman. So I please make the metaphor way too fucking obvious. And I'm here for that. But I mean, you know, that's a difference of opinion. It is showy. I will absolutely <laughs> say that like it is not subtle in any fucking way. Like sometimes verges on noir. But, you know, I like that shit, so.
1: Yeah, like, I think I was constructing a hypothetical version of this movie that didn't have any Kazanness ness to
0: it. And was like, <laughs>
1: you know what? Pretty good.
0: Hey, yeah, it might be. The, yeah.
1: <laughs> but that isn't the movie we have in front of us.
0: Right. That is, we don't have that to watch. Yeah, I would say don't watch this movie. I don't, don't. i uh, mm
1: watch the cap scene you and honestly like that's the fucking mm, de, it it is a thing where like this is my entire watch this movie argument that is such a shorthand and such a like we all have a shitty brando right we can just everyone on earth can do a shitty brando by going like i could have been a contender which is like not the voice the other
0: one is the make him an offer he can't refuse
1: yeah And, like, when you watch it within the movie, it is transfixing.
0: Oh, absolutely. It
1: is an amazing bit of acting. And you really do need to have seen Terry Malloy as a guy who really is going to struggle to put together a thought as complex as, you know, you kind of dragged me into the mob, and that's a shitty thing for a brother to do.
0: I think it says a lot, though, that... I was not even aware that that line was from this movie or what the context was at all. Whereas with make him an offer, he can't refuse. Like that's such a tight bit of script writing that it evokes an entire world and situation. Cause like, I haven't seen the Godfather and yet I still know what that means. Whereas like I could have been a contender I think I somehow vaguely knew was about somebody who was a boxer, but I think part of me was like, is that from Rocky or like, like I honestly didn't know. And that's because the line is shit and it's only famous because Brando's performance of it is exquisite.
1: I did know that line was from this movie, but it led me to believe far more of this movie would be about him being a former boxer than it actually is. (laughs) (laughs) That, like, that was going to be way more central to the plot.
0: That comes up so late in the movie!
1: (laughs) And, like, in a way, him giving that performance within a movie that has the earlier parts of this movie just makes it more impressive. But it's the only thing in this movie, I feel like, is my argument for, like, you have to watch this movie, is just Brando in the cab. And, like, there's a lot of movie around that. Um... (laughs) And that's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I would say, like, uh, no, I was gonna say just watch another Brando, but we've kind of had reservations about our two other Brando movies, too.
0: really having your reservations about around julius caesar as far as watch it it's just cut it off before you get to the end that's boring and that's shakespeare's fault that it's boring
1: yeah yeah okay watch julius caesar over this because he also gives a very good performance in julius caesar
0: and streetcar we said to watch it was just like make sure make sure you pick the right day yeah
1: streetcar is like a stone cold bummer and i always feel weird going like just (laughs) go watch that in your free time but also like yeah he's very good in that he's like Yeah. yeah yeah, don't watch this movie. I I get that it's, like, one of the best films ever made in, you know, like, giant flashing lights or whatever, but, like...
0: But it's not.
1: It's not. There is nothing in this film that requires you to have this film. The closest is that cab scene to, like, that's the baby with... Like, that's the, <laughs> the baby with all this bathwater, right? Mm, yeah. And, like... It's, it's a pretty good baby, but, like, boy, I should probably not keep going with this metaphor, huh?
0: Yeah, I don't know that I would actually say it's a baby. <laughs> it's like yeah. Maybe, maybe don't throw out the rubber ducky with the bathwater. Like, yeah. It would be unfortunate, but not a tragedy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, because I was going to be like, I, is it that the baby is ugly or that the bathwater is that bad? And I'm like, no, I should just <laughs> bail on this. This is just a bad idea. <laughs>
0: Uh, so yeah, so next week, um, we are watching the last of the 1954 films, which is The Country Girl, starring Bing Crosby, Grace Kelly, and William Holden. I, I don't know anything about it, but I like all those people.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's exactly where I am. And then we start the, I've been meaning to say this on air of like, 1955 is the last year where I go. I don't know a single one of these movies.
0: Uh, Yeah, I know the title Love is a Many Splendored Thing. Yeah. If you had said to me, hey, what is Love is a Many Splendored Thing? I think my answer would have been it's a song sung by Frank Sinatra. Yeah. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I figured it was my whole life. Yeah. Oh, no, it is actually a song. Okay, okay. That was recorded by like, Frank Sinatra hey check that out among a lot of other people but I just thought it was a song I didn't know it was a movie
1: yeah uh, though like I I,
0: 55 is gonna be a weird one
1: 55 is gonna be a weird one and then it's not like every year has great movies after that but like I went through and checked and after that there is at least one movie every single year that I'm like oh yeah I know the king and I Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Bridge Over- bridge on the River Kwai. Like, there's something yep. from here on in. At
0: least one, yeah.
1: <laughs> and that's something to hold on to.
0: Well, yeah, so uh, until we get to 1955, though, uh, tune in next week to find out if the country girl is any good. And until then...
1: This was a movie.
0: Some of this was a movie.
1: Some of this was a movie and some of it was an extremely boring and badly made polemic.
0: <laughs> that was way too personal to the person making.
1: It. Yeah, like real like let me tell you why my roommate is secretly a war criminal energy. Of like calm down. Like none of this. <laughs> like
0: <laughs> uh... <laughs> Hey, bye everybody. Bye everybody. You should have taken care of me just a little bit so I wouldn't have to take them dives for the short-end money. I had some bets down for you. You saw some money. You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody instead of a bum, which is what I am. Let's face it. It was you, Chuck. Let me tell you why my roommate is secretly a worker. (laughs)